1: And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you.
2: Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. A quick
1: pass to Crowder trying to get him out of the space. Oh, 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 slopes oh. a tackle. And there he goes. Crowder. It's a foot race and Crowder is in there. A 69 yard touchdown. Darnold escapes, trying to buy himself some time. Fires end zone. It's caught. Incredible play by Darnold. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know and what?
2: The <laughs> QAnator. Oh my gosh! Listen, thank you.
0: From the playlikeajet.com digital studios. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at Play Like a Jet One, and we are doing the off-season roundtable. So, for this edition of the roundtable, I want to talk to a friend of mine who also happens to be a best selling author not once, but twice. And this most recent book was a huge hit. It was sold out on Amazon for quite a while. I happen to know somebody who got me a copy. It wasn't him. It was somebody else that I knew. He wouldn't send me a copy. I thought we were friends, but he wouldn't even send me a copy of the book that he wrote. Of course, I'm talking about my friend who's been on the podcast a bunch of times before, author of Van Halen Rising, and also author of the new book, Ted Templeman, A Producer's Life. Greg Renoff, and he's brought with him a special guest, his nephew, Luke, who happens to be one of the biggest Jets fans out there. So, Greg, Luke, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having us on.
0: Greg, you've been here before. Luke, this is your first time on the show. So this is the offseason roundtable. Essentially what we do here is we go around the horn, talk about what happened with the Jets last year a little bit, rehash, and then talk about what we think the Jets can do to get the team back on track and in the right direction And obviously after a 2-14 season That's very necessary We're not talking about a team that's coming off a winning season Or a playoff season They were the second worst team in the league So there are a lot of improvements that need to be made But before we get to the improvements We've got to talk about what just happened The Adam Gase era So Luke, I'll let you go first And then Greg, you can follow him What are your thoughts on the gay Sarah reflect back on it For me Luke anything positive You can take out of it
2: I mean the only positive thing That I could probably think of is drafting Makai Becton
0: hmm. Who
2: like was a great pick And wasn't the first um, Tackle drafted which was good And he didn't make A lot of moves which was the issue He didn't do a lot in free agency or anything like that And We've had a ton of draft picks which is the one Another good thing he did But, yeah, he didn't do a lot.
1: You know, uh, I think, although my nephew Luke is younger than us, Scott, and he hasn't had the pain that we've had as Jet fans (laughs) for so many decades, I think you and I and a lot of other Jet fans, probably the majority of Jet fans, probably knew the way this was going to end the day it started. I remember very vividly you and I texting and going, it's not possible they're going to hire Adam Gase. And lo and behold, they hired Adam Gase. So we had hope that it was going to be a uh, situation where we were wrong. And we tried to be optimistic and think, well, maybe maybe it won't go south like it went south in Miami for gays. But it was pretty much an unmitigated disaster. I think the uh, winning streak two years ago, I think in retrospect, probably was a, a, a mirage. I think a lot of people have observed that, that it was sort of gave a false sense of optimism to a lot of people that, oh, things were going to trend in the right direction. When in reality it was it was pretty clear that the team had not gotten better over that off season, and that what's even worse is that I think it's kind of at this point pretty hard to debate uh, excuse me to to um disagree with the notion that Sam Darwin has gotten worse over the last three years, which really really bummed me out that he went from at the end of his rookie season um looking like he was really going to become a quarterback that was uh you know, going to be at least middle of the pack at the lowest and maybe a top 10 quarterback And now somebody who's really kind of hit a crossroads in his career and was really struggling last year. So it's hard to look back on the Gay era, thinking as far as he was the offensive guru who was going to be the quarterback whisperer. And considering we've got a quarterback who's now worse than he was before Gay showed up, and the team has been uh, really, really poor. But I, I would agree with my nephew that Makai Beckton looks like the real deal. I'm a little concerned about his durability issue. I don't know how Luke feels about that some injuries last year, but when he was on the field and playing, he looked absolutely dominant. Um, even the the San Francisco game, if we could um, think about that with our new coach on the other side of the field at the defensive coordinator over there, he really was, um, Beckton really, really looked good in that game against some really, really great players. and um, That's something definitely to be optimistic about the, the era, uh, but it's hard otherwise to look, look at, to see anything positive that could have come out of it. It was just a disastrous last two years.
0: Greg, you brought up the new coach, Robert Sala, who was coaching against the Jets when the 49ers beat up on them in week two of the 2020 season. So, Luke, I wanted your take on this first. What are your thoughts on the hiring of Robert Sala? Thumbs up, thumbs down, somewhere in the middle?
2: Um, I think he's good. I think he did defense a lot, and our defense is good, so he can definitely bring them to the next level. And I'm hoping that he's able to make moves like he did for the 49ers, bringing in a lot of guys like Richard Sherman and stuff like that. So I'm praying like he's ballsy enough to like actually make move and do something important.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think that's a really interesting point that Luke brings up about the excitement that Sala brings to the table. I think one of the other less, I think less discussed issues about the gay Sarah was that in terms of excitement around it with free agents. I don't think a lot of players, I mean, players want to get paid, but if they had choices, I would suspect that there were a number of players who probably would have chosen to go elsewhere, considering that Gates didn't exactly have the most peaceful relations with players in Florida. It seemed like there were definitely some, some problems there um, where it seems like when we saw the response around the league, I know Luke is on Twitter uh, and probably sees these things as well. When players saw that Salah was hired, even guys he played with, you know, basically didn't play for Salah who just know of his coaching seemed extremely excited about it. Just people just, and that seems strange to me that you'd almost never see that like a sort of like players going, this is awesome. I'm glad he got this job who didn't really even play for him. So that really, I think would bode well for free agency. Um, You know, hopefully some players who maybe, you know, two years ago would have said, I don't want to play for the Jets or I don't want to do this would be willing to take less money to come to New York and really want to be here uh, and play. So that's exciting.
0: The guy who's going to be in charge of free agency and the draft for that matter is Joe Douglas. He's also the one who selected Robert Sala. The final call, of course, was ownership, but it was Douglas who led the charge. It was Douglas who made the recommendation. Luke, what are your thoughts on Joe Douglas so far? He's only had one full off season, so it's hard to judge him too harshly or too positively in either direction. But what do you think about what we've seen so far? So far, I
2: think with the bringing in the 49th defensive coordinator for coach and all the moves he's made so far, he's doing pretty well. Um, and uh, I'm hoping that like our last owner, he didn't like do a lot besides the bell thing. Otherwise there wasn't a lot. So yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think Luke Gary brought up Makai Beckton. And I think that was a, a great, a great pick. I mean, I think that's, that's something where I, I really, feel like in the McKagan era that that would have been a pick that wouldn't have been made. There would have been some effort to get some other, some other, you know, there would have been like the overlooking of the trenches. That was continually a problem with, um, you know, going from a team with a dominant offensive line into a team with a terrible offensive line. It's really or extremely mediocre. We've had for the last five to seven years or more is that uh, our previous general manager thought he would build the the offensive line through drafting six round players, basically and free agent scrap heap guys. And that was a, deba- a complete debacle. And so to have Beckton in there, who looks like he's going to be a fixture for a decade, and then going through the rest of the draft, looking at guys like um, Denzel Mims, who again, there's some durability concerns with him, but when he was on the field, I saw him really um, look like he could be a dominant one number one re- receiver. Well, let's face it. That's not something they haven't had in forever. And so, um, you know, I, you really. I think it usually takes a couple of years to sort of see what you can do with the draft. But Bryce Hall looked like he could be a big contributor as well. Uh, maybe Ashton Davis. Maybe he's not a, a starter necessarily, but he looks like a guy who's going to be a, a good rotational player and be good on special teams. So I was really pretty pleased with uh, the, the draft in the last last year. And we'll and we'll see. But I'm considering where we've come from. I mean, it, it's hard to imagine it getting worse. As Luke you know, mentioned the previous general manager. It's been, uh, it's been not exactly uh, (laughs) hard to top that if you're, uh, you're Douglas.
0: We'll see if Joe Douglas can top it. As you said, it's not going to be that difficult. In order to do it, though, he's got to start with free agency because that comes before the draft. So, Luke, are there any positions, any players in particular, that you think the Jets should go after in free agency? And are there any players that are on the Jets right now that you think they should prioritize internally, any players you think they should get rid of?
2: Um, I think, for one, that Marcus May... So far, this season, had a great season, and he should stay. And I think in free agency, if you could go, maybe even um, Deshaun Watson trade for him, or in free agency, go for Allen Robinson, who would be, like, a great threat if we are going to keep Darnold, like, to help him, because he never really had great receivers. Um, besides Crowder, he didn't have a main guy to throw to, so I think that's an important position. And even running back, just, like, a decent running back. Otherwise, yeah, those are the main things.
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree with Luke. I mean, I think the Allen Robinson factor would be huge. I mean, that would be, I I would think, I mean, I'm thinking back, I mean, I'm trying to think of the last, like Brandon Marshall probably would be the last, his one season here where he was dominant, like the last true number one receiver, a guy who could actually take over a game and and, and be counted on for 10 or so catches. I mean, having that would make a huge, huge difference. Um, You know, and I think that's, that's worth, that is definitely worth paying for. And you can imagine if he did end up, coming here and having to pair him with Mims and then Crowder, as as uh, Luke observed, that would be a really, really great trio to, to trot out there. And then, you know, I really would like to see, personally, I'm not a, a huge advocate for making the Watson deal just because I, I fear that it's going to leave the Jets in the same situation they've been in a lot of years where you would be, um, again, depending on how the deal was, you know, how what, what I many picks you're giving up and stuff like that. But I, I would really hope that Douglas now with the amount of picks he has, has the opportunity to really build, especially the offensive line. He's an offensive lineman himself in college. And that, I hope will be the way that he will go because we've seen in previous decades, and we've also seen it in the playoffs. I mean, we just saw what happened in the Super Bowl when when one team that should have been much much better trotted out an offensive line that suddenly was injured and didn't have didn't have their guys out there. It can really make a difference, and I think it's been pretty pretty clear that the offensive line play for the Jets for the last at least least five years if not more has been mediocre at best, and so i really would would love to see him use picks to really bring in a bunch of of top um top linemen again not not all the picks but just not give away not trade away picks that for watson that you might um end up going while we now we can't can't get a couple of tackles or guards to help bolster that line but that said you know scott you and i have talked about this and i know luke has probably seen watson play a lot watson is by far you know the the most exciting and most I think uh, talented quarterback like this to be available by trade in in forever. I mean, you think about someone like Jimmy Garoppolo, and you think well, Garoppolo was you know was out there and he had that streak and everything, but you, you, there aren't as you as you said to me, Scott, on the phone, and Luke certainly understands as well. You either these guys don't ever come available. No one says I'm trading Drew Brees. You know, in his prime, I'm trading. Uh, Tom Brady in this prime, nobody ever, no team ever says that. Of course they lock these guys up and they pay them whatever it takes to keep them happy. And so, um, you know, I say that with that understanding, but I I just, I don't want to overpay. I don't want to just sort of have that get rich quick mentality where we'll just, we'll get the quarterback and then uh, be in a situation where, you know, Watson looks average because he's running for his life and they're winning four games like they did last year in Houston.
0: Greg, since you brought up Deshaun Watson, let's talk a little bit about the quarterback position. Now, the Jets are not going to make a big splash in free agency at quarterback. There's nobody available there that it would make sense to do it with anyway. The name that you mentioned is Deshaun Watson. There's a ton of speculation around him. And perhaps if he becomes available, maybe the Jets getting in and being one of the top bidders, being aggressive on Watson. There's Sam Darnold Do they bring him back and try and see What he can do in a new offense With better personnel Do they go into the draft and draft Zach Wilson Or Justin Fields or maybe even Trey Lance Luke what do you think What should the Jets do at quarterback here Should they go all in for Watson If he becomes available Should they keep Darnold and try to build around him Should they draft one of the quarterbacks That's going to be available in April What do you think
2: Obviously, Trevor Lawrence is going to be available to draft, and I personally don't like Justin Fields, so I think it's either Watson or Darnold. Um, Darnold hasn't had a huge chance with a uh, bad O line and like not great receivers. He hasn't had a huge chance to like prove himself and a bad coach. So, if you give Darnold one more chance, I think he can still be decent, and I don't think his career's over yet.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's a, a defensible position. I think. I mean, I think the reality was is sadly that when you look at the numbers for Darnold last year, they really weren't very good, and he really was very, you know, very much at the bottom of the of the quarterback rankings. You know, and that said, I think we've seen Darnold play much better in his rookie year, and it's sort of it's it's sort of remarkable how far he's fallen. Yeah, I certainly would be in favor of 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 probably pulling the trigger. At number two and picking a quarterback, and then trading Darnold than I would over the over the Watson just because of the cost of it. But you know, I think I think I mean I think it also depends on how far they think they're away from competing. I think that's the big thing. If they think that Darnold is sort of a hold to hold the fork guy for one year, and then they're going to go out and try to get a different quarterback. But uh, as we've discussed, I think Scott on the phone and, and other people have certainly have talked about it. It's, you know, you have the premium pick this year. If you get to be a, a nine and seven or seven and nine team, then you get caught in the middle of the draft where you may not have the ability to pick the quarterback you want. And then suddenly you're in the situation that the the bears are in where you have a quarterback who's kind of mediocre and you have a big contract with him and you don't know how to, uh, how to get out of that. And so I think it's, um I think, you know, for me, I, I'd rather see, I'm not sure who to pick at number two, but I'd rather probably see that happen than, than have the, the basically empty the draft capital barrel out to get, to get Watson. Um, but, you know, it's it's there's definitely some um some things that still could happen. Obviously, we're going to see guys throw in their pro day and things like that. and I, the the stock rises and falls, so it'll be interesting to see what ends up happening. but they have a you know they have a premium pick. you could you could potentially trade out of number two. Um, you know, if there was something there's another quarterback something that catches your fancy, maybe you can move out of that position potentially and still have some picks. but it's uh, it's it's one of these situations where it's going to define Joe Douglas's tenure. There's no question about it. Um, this number two pick is going to be a big part of that story play like a jet play like a jet
0: Let's talk draft outside of the quarterbacks. Let's assume, for the sake of argument, because we already heard what you guys think about these quarterbacks in the draft, that the Jets decide to either stick with Darnold or go in another direction and they don't pick a quarterback at number two. What would you do there? Would you trade down? Is there a player you like at number two? And what else do you think the Jets should do in the draft? Any particular players or positions you think they should target, Luke?
2: Um, I think the two main ones, or the three, actually. If they don't go for Allen Robinson, then receiver would be an option at their, I think they have got the 20th or 22nd or something like that. Um, But it's mainly between quarterback, like O-lineman, or a corner was the other option. Which, I'm not a big fan of corners that early in the draft. So it's mainly like QB versus um, lineman. But I like the guy everyone's saying they're going to get, for guys' name, but I like him or one of the quarterbacks.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, if you were going to not take a quarterback and you trade down, I mean, getting someone like, you know, a a Sewell or someone else, just an absolutely dominant, can't miss offensive lineman to plug in there. I mean, I think that would go uh, go so far. Uh, Thinking back to. Previous decade with the Jets, where the Jets were able to build with Debricka Shaw and the rest of that on, offensive line, some good free agents, they brought Alan, Alan Fanica, um, and Mangold and these other players that they were able to build that line around, and that made a huge, huge difference. And that was uh, what made that team great, I think, ultimately. And to have a, another incredibly, you know, just a guy you can put in there and you just know can just can just really dominate whoever's across the line from them. So it's like Mekhi Becton can. That would be a huge step forward, I think, making this team much, much better going forward. So that would kind of be my my thinking um, about that if you weren't going to take a quarterback at number two.
0: Let's talk about ownership because we've gone through everything else. And in a weird way, ownership is about to change. The same guy owns the team, but he wasn't in control for the last couple of years. Woody Johnson's been away. Now he's back. Christopher Johnson was at the helm, and now he's going to be number two in command after Woody. Luke, how do you feel about Woody Johnson coming back? Do you care one way or the other?
2: I think that personally it's good because the previous guy in charge didn't really help us a lot. We stayed like similar record the past few years. Like our best one was like seven and nine or something. So I think it's like definitely time to change and like a good decision.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's an interesting point. I mean, I think, I think Chris Johnson, Woody's brother, seemed to do a lot of things right in terms of especially relations with players and sort of a political environment that was often contentious between ownership and players. He seemed to handle that really, really well. And he seems to be, I think, a good, a good guy and all, you know, by all accounts, seems to be a a quality person. Uh, but you know, I think, I think maybe, you know, bringing Woody back might after four years overseas, um, as ambassador in the UK might really maybe shake things up and actually might be a really, really positive thing. Um, I can only imagine that Woody has been um, watching from overseas and been disgusted by what he's seeing. I mean, I, how could he not be? He's, you know, he owned this team, and it's like <laughs> you've owned it for a long time, and your brother takes over, and it doesn't really get any better. And so, I, you know, you know, brother's coming home, and he's going to want to maybe, you know, maybe make some um, some decisions that might really be maybe brash. I don't know. You know, Woody never seemed like a reckless guy, but he also is somebody who, in the past, had kind of. Could be talked into doing things, you know, the Tim Tebow move and some other things that, you know, maybe were kind of flashy things. So it'd be interesting to see if he's sort of in that mindset when he comes, you know, comes and gets settled now that he's back and that there's going to be uh, some free agent moves that he's going to really kind of, you know, push for some of these these things to kind of get fans excited again, it's, as Woody has done in the past, I think, with with certain moves. But, um yeah, I mean, I think I don't think anyone can look at Chris's track record and. You know, again, no offense to the guy. He seems like a nice guy, but I don't think you can look at it and go, wow, been like, <laughs> it's been an amazing <laughs> tenure with Chris Chris uh, calling the shots his owner. Or
0: Last order of business, gentlemen. And Greg, I've asked you this question before, but I'm going to bring it up again. Luke, I don't know if you know this because I don't know how often you listen to the show, but we talk a lot of pizza around here on Play Like a Jet. And you live in New Jersey, and Chris Nimbly and I go back and forth about who has the better pizza between New York and New Jersey. But because you live in New Jersey, I'm going to limit it to that since that's where you would mostly be getting your pizza. What are some of your favorite pizza places, and what's your favorite kind of pizza? I need to know.
2: I just like plain pizza, mainly but I like Parmesan cheese on it. Mm. And some of my favorite places are, um, there's a place near my house called Angelo's. It's got good pizza. But um, my favorite place, it's kind of like, it's like 40 minutes away from my house, which sucks. But it's called Godfather Pizza. It's really good. And yeah, I don't have New York pizza a lot, so I couldn't tell you the difference.
0: Greg, I think we're going to have to fix that. You got to talk to your brother, Mike, about making some trips into the city to take this boy for some good New York pizza.
1: I, I got to say, I'm just shocked by that. I don't even know what to say. I just—I'm just I'm just going to, I'm just shocked. I'm speechless.
0: I can't believe Mike hasn't brought him into New York for pizza more often. I'm really shaking my head here. This is a podcast, not a video show, but I'm shaking my head like a bobblehead. But Greg, I need to know, and this could be something that you could throw at Mike as some recommendations. You grew up in New York. Now, obviously, you live in Oklahoma, but I'm sure you have memories of different places that you like when you're visiting or when you were growing up. What are some of your favorite pizza places back here?
1: Oh, I'm going to give ai am going to give a, a something that hopefully people will get a, a kick out of that. Uh, I remember as a, as a teenager, when I would walk around New York, you always wanted to go to any place that said Ray's. There were like 19,000 <laughs> different Ray's pizza. There was Ray's original, famous <laughs> Ray's, world famous Ray's, the original famous Ray's in New York City. And I kind of remember walking around, and you you know, you just kind of all thought they were the same because they all said Ray on them. They were all like, we're all pretty good. Um, so, you know, I would like to see uh see Luke get a little bit of raised pizza, whatever it is. He'll get that little bit of that New York experience of the, of the slice on the, the white paper plate. Um, but for me, I'm a big, you know, I really, I really like, you know, if I had a, a choice, I really like Sicilian pizza. I'm a big mm. fan of Sicilian pizza. And that I living in the Midwest, I don't get that very often. Um, but yeah, if I was going to go back to New York and go to famous rays with my nephew, I would say, get the Sicilian Luke, live a little, get, get out from the plane, the plane slice there, get the thick crust, get that Sicilian.
0: Okay, here's what we're going to do, and I'm going to hold both of you to this, okay? Greg, the next time you're out here visiting, I don't know when that's going to be. Luke, you and your dad and the rest of the family, I'm going to bring my family. Greg, you're going to bring your family, and we're all going to go to New York for some awesome pizza. How does that sound, everybody?
1: I'm all in. Luke, you in? Yeah.
0: Good, then it's settled. We're going to be going for some New York pizza soon whenever Greg comes into town. Greg Renoff, Luke Renoff, thanks so much for coming on on the Roundtable. As always, really appreciate it. Luke, we'll go to you first. How can people talk to you about the Jets if they want to? Are you on social media? Uh,
2: I've got Instagram, but I'm not on it a lot. But I'm kind of on Twitter, I guess.
0: What's your Twitter handle?
2: (laughs) Uh, I think it's just at... I'll check.
1: <laughs> I'm not on Twitter a lot. He's, he's look. He's a very big deal, you know. He doesn't need to, He doesn't need to remember. Everyone just finds him on Twitter. I mean, they don't need to. You don't need to know. It's like he just looks like Luke Renoff. Of course, you can find him. I mean, he's like he's all over the place. He's trending. <laughs> he's trending again. I love it. I, mean, I love it.
2: I only use Twitter just to like look at stuff. But so my account, my name is just Luke, and it's Luke eight one. Oh, seven, eight, nine,
1: seven, two.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't change my name. Eight,
1: six, seven, five, three, four, nine. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Luke, it's great. It's like your, it's like Luke's burner account. He's like, he's like, yeah, screw the Jets or I love the Jets. And then you can like delete the account if it gets too, too much heat coming down the, from other players or something. Good job, Luke.
0: <laughs> Good job. Luke is his own welcome. burner account, but Greg, You have your own Twitter account, and a lot of people know about it. It's a pretty big account. You happen to be a a two-time best-selling author as well. Yes, you are a very big deal, almost on the level of Chris Nimbley, but not quite. It takes a lot to get to Chris Nimbley's level. But talk to people about how they can talk to you on social media, not just about the Jets, but obviously Van Halen, Hard Rock, whatever else. And, of course, tell them about how they can buy your books, because if they don't have them yet, then they're really doing themselves a disservice.
1: Yeah, um, I'm at Greg Renoff, G-R-E-G-R-E-N-O-F-F. And yeah, my books are available on uh, on Amazon. Uh, that'd be probably the best place to get them, the Van Halen book and the Ted Templeman book. And uh, yeah, I love to talk about the Jets and I love to talk about Van Halen. So sometimes those two things come together. You get Jet fans who are Van Halen fans and those are my favorite people to interact with. So hit me up on Twitter.
0: Make sure that you hit up Luke on Twitter. I hope you wrote down his Twitter handle because that's going to be kind of difficult to remember. So rewind and listen to it again and write it down and then you know that you can get Greg on Twitter at Greg Renoff and you can get his books at Amazon and any major bookstore or anywhere online that you can get books. They're both fantastic, so I highly recommend them. If you haven't given us a five star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't Take you much time Doesn't cost you any money But it goes a long way To help us out So if you could go ahead And do that for us We'd be quite grateful And for the latest and greatest In New York Jets podcast You know where to go That's PlayLikeAJetDigital And PlayLikeAJet.com